comments and views expressed on The Moore Show are those of the people that make them and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kevin Moore, The Moore Show, or this radio station and its affiliates or sponsors. and welcome to another edition of The More Show, which is sponsored by the UFO Matrix magazine. On today's show, my guest is Nigel Kerner. Now, Nigel is an author and freelance journalist. He was born in Sri Lanka, his mother from a British planting family, and his father an officer in the British Royal Navy fleet Air Arm. This international family base provided the background for an obsessive and serious interest in international human affairs and how these interface with science, religion and philosophy. His formal graduate education is in biomedical science and human behavioural psychology. Nigel's fascination with the puzzling phenomena of UFOs resulted in his first book, The Song of the Greys. This serious work on the subject is now noted worldwide for its radical view on the phenomena. His latest book, Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of the Souls is the second in a trilogy about the UFO phenomena and its social repercussions on humanity. Nigel Kerner, welcome to the show. Let's have an interesting chat. Now, Nigel, just tell the audience to begin with a bit about yourself. Well, nothing much to tell. Uh, I have a scientific background. I don't like letters behind my name, so uh, I'm just simply Nigel Kerner. Uh, I really want uh, uh, the kind of opportunity to, to discuss, uh, you know, out-of-the-box out ideas about things that most people are interested in, and I think this particular subject uh, we're referring to, um, you know, um, in terms of our future scope as human beings, biologically or not, um, uh, is something that has interested me all the for a long, long time, really, years and years and years. I came into this as a, a, a simple challenge from uh, my little boy when he was about 12 years old, when he asked me a simple question, look, Dad, are these, this business of UFOs, is this real? And uh, he, though he was a little kid at the time, he's a pretty sharp honcho, and I, I, I didn't want to give him a kind of superficial answer because I hadn't the faintest idea what they were, to be honest. And and had the usual sceptical kind of, you know, outlook about these things and so on, Buck Rogers and, you know, the business we all went through yeah. uh, as kids kind of thing. And um, anyway, I, I, I thought I'd just have a look at it, for, just give them some kind of answer. And the more I looked at it, the more this, this Pandora's box, if you like, that I was opening seemed to suggest something absolutely amazing, sensational, uh, and it met up with my kind of uh, um, scientific perspective, if you like, and uh, looked at it you know, even more seriously as it threw up more questions than answers, if you see what I'm trying to say. And looking at it in, 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 uh, in detail as the years went along, and the years I'm talking now are well over 40 years of actual interest in it and about 30-odd years of real hard um, kind of uh, hard-looking science uh, uh, <coughs> Uh, ex uh, expositions on, on the subject through the, 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 uh, the straight science invective, so to speak. Uh, and I didn't want any of this imaginary nonsense that people talk about, you know, I saw this and I saw that and whatever. I wanted to see how this stood up with the, the scientific method, so to speak. 
And the more I looked at it in those terms, the more sensational it became because it kind of answered all the questions in that kind of context. And um, so uh, this led from one subject within this purview, so to speak, of UFOs to, to many other kind of, you know, sub-subjects within it. And um, in, in the end, of course, it, 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 it came down to this very important thing at this juncture, if you like, in our society and the way we're thinking about things of um, uh, what, what is the difference between what is natural, what is artificial and synthetic. And yeah. How, how do these things relate to our condition as a human uh, species and so forth? It got a little bit deep, if you like, in that, in that kind of context. And, um, of course, it all married in uh, with the UFOs in, in a very fascinating and quite unusual way, I might say. And, um, of course, that uh, kept the interest value all these years. And, in fact, it, it was uh, this, this little kid's question, in fact, uh, was instrumental in turning over my entire um, idea of what what one might call the existential scale, you know. <clears throat> so, so let me let me just take you back there a bit, Nigel. So, okay, so your background was sort of soaked in science. Yeah. Um, you know, these subjects that we're about to talk about are, are very paranormal and uh, you know very sort of new age. So. Yes. You, you say it's your son that sort of clued you in or sort of opened you to think outside the box as such or yeah. to, to you yeah. know, look at things in a different perspective. But, I mean, you know, yeah. what interest you seem... did you have in the New Age then, or New Age yeah, subjects? Yeah. Sure. So, I, I, I have to say, I, I'm a New Age, I was really allergic to that term anyway and, and whatever came within that kind of purview and so on. But, uh, you know, this is a really serious scientific-based subject when you really go into it. These, these business, this business about uh, UFOs is really verified by some very important and very respected people all over the world. And, of course, as an adjunct to that, you, you, you'd expect, uh, you know, all kinds of hangers-on and so on, because it's an exciting subject. It's, it's one for the imagination and so on. But I wanted to keep it within the straight narrows of the scientific method and how, through empirical mechanisms uh, uh, can we look at this and see if there is any veracity to it at all or is it just another uh, um, uh, subject uh, allied with the tooth fairy and things like that you know <clears throat> so uh, one uh, i looked at this in, 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 in a much more progressively serious uh, kind of way unexpectedly i might say kevin that that's the in incredible thing i am as much surprised at the discoveries I've made, because as I said, I was a real skeptic about these things, and you're right about this idea that, of course, it's a kind of subject that uh, is on the fringe, so to speak. And I think that in its way is also a very uh, um, interesting thing, because there may well be a reason why it's deliberately been kept on the fringe, and that's to do more with politics and sociological questions than anything else. So you see it goes into every kind of fund of human activity, if you see what I'm trying to say, and covers the whole, whole field, so to speak, and one yeah. really must not come at this with a closed mind, you know? <laughs> No, which is what the, it, it you know, normally gets that kind of treatment in the mainstream media. Now, yeah, indeed. Oh, and again, we'll get into why that may be, but uh, I, I just wanted to speak about, well, I want you to tell me about um, UFO abductions and the, the sort of deathbed confession that you heard, which sort of sparked your interest in the whole thing as well. Yeah. 
Well, the, uh, that, of course, was, some, uh, was sponsored, really, by something I'd read. Two very um, uh, respected researchers, the results of, of whom uh, the, uh, the whole question rests on, basically their research, that is, um, Bud Hopkins and Dr. David Jacobs, uh, who are very, very well-known um, uh, researchers into this, where they, they use this, uh, this technique they call regression, um, uh, uh, is a kind of hypnosis where you take an individual under hypnosis into experiences that they might have had that they've forgotten and so on. Of course, it's a well-respected uh, procedure in, even in, 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 in uh, psychological science these days. And, and um, uh, you know, looking at this again with a slightly skeptical eye at the start and looking at the huge amount of research done on this and the all-pervading uh, 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 kind of uh, way this, uh, this, this whole subject reached, if you like, into interesting areas in terms of our, our own you know, human endeavor and so on. I began to get very, very convinced that there was something real to these things and it wasn't, wasn't another kind of dreamscape and, and, and the things that uh, uh, commonly are taken to be the, the, the norm of things, you know, when, when people discuss this in, in, the, in the mainstream, so to speak. Oh, it really was something that, that uh, took a long time to kind of filter through in terms of its, its veracity. And once I had established that there was something real uh, that might be going on here. You, you know, you, of course, you, you, I'm sure you're aware of uh, the famous uh, Harvard uh, uh, psychiatrist, uh, John Mack, um, uh, who um, examined these, these cases of uh, abductions and so on uh, through his own researches and um, uh, became very world famous, in fact, for his, his um, uh, announcement that he found that this thing may well be a real experience, that there's something real going on here and not imagined. And of course, you know, one, one has to go on this kind of recommendation. I haven't done research into this uh, in any kind of cogent way myself, but it is something that one, obviously, in, in tackling the subject, one reads around and looks at and picks the things that you think are a little bit more verifiable and, and to, should be taken seriously. And in, in the course of my researches, I, I found that this, this incredible thing also tied up uh, intimately with this this UFO phenomenon and and, uh, and brought it to me and my mind much more into what the mainstream should be looking at, and of course created a fascinating sense that um, uh, or rather a series of questions as to as to why the mainstream is ducking these issues and tends to make this thing rather frivolous. And and why is that in your opinion? Why is mainstream ducking the UFO subject? I think there are so many reasons one can put down to this, uh, Kevin. I think one of the most important is that if such a philosophical thing is true, if it is in fact a firm reality in our terms, then all of human history is bunk. And all the things that we've been looking at and we've been uh, uh, endeavoring to do in history would have to make a U-turn, so to speak, a complete U-turn, one that would transform uh, the outlook of humanity. And of course, you know as well as I do how well stitched up the outlook of humanity <laughs> is in terms of the fiscal imperative, if you see what I'm trying to say. I, I, I do, but... Uh, what, there's no what, money in it, if you see what I'm trying okay. to say. Okay, <laughs> why would it change uh, our history, though? If it was to come out that, uh, you know, uh, these things, these unidentified flying objects of maybe extraterrestrial... Uh, origin had been yeah. uh, floating around for for a while, not just you know 
um, from the Roswell incident, but way before. Why would we have to rewrite the history books, in your opinion? Well, it takes control away from us. It means that we are sponsored by something that is manipulating the natural free aegis of humanity, if you see what I'm trying to say. And that, of course, is fundamental to the course we as human beings will take in our lives. And, of course, it is on that basis that religion is well-writ, so to speak, if you see what I'm trying to say, a very, very powerful driver in societal terms through history. And then, of course, you've got the business imperative and all those kinds of things. If something out there is more powerful, can come here and reach past the speed of light and takes control through its vastly superior technology of us little earthlings, so to speak, you can imagine what the implications are for our future scope, so to speak. And that, to me, I think is fundamentally why uh, a lot of people that should not be ducking the issue are in fact doing that, important people. However, the thing is so pervading now in society, so many experiences of this kind of, uh, this, this, this kind of thing uh, in, in the general public view, so to speak, that it's being forced into it more and more, you know, you've got video cameras, you've got you know, society's changed in technological terms and so forth. In fact, technology may well be the offshoot of the influence of such things, you know, and of course, the business is really controlled, isn't it, Kevin? Are we in control or is something else in control and are we just pawns in the game, so to speak? But surely if there was something else out there... And, um, you know, they would have uh, took us over a long time ago. I mean, they, they, they obviously, yeah. whatever they are, they, they have their best interests at heart, no? Oh, no, 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 that's just the point. What, in fact, I mean, look at, look, at the, look at the nature of humanity and how we have through history done to each other, so to speak. It's been a parade of disgrace, has it not? We have been killing, maiming every opportunity and through the sense of our competitiveness with one another, our parochial sense, whatever, we, it's been a parade of disaster in terms of violence and, and all kinds of negative things, so to speak. Now, if, in fact, the universe out there runs on the lines that we do, and if, in fact, societies have got grander and greater in technological terms under the same principles, so to speak, then wh what are we? Do we become lab rats to something superior to us in terms of its intellect and technology, so to speak? Look at what we do to the animal kingdom, for instance, being the primary species on the earth. So surely should we not take a look at the fact that maybe these things are here for something that takes a long time to get, yet something so wondrous and so, so different from them that they are willing to make that investment in time until such a time as it's shall we say, suitable for them to make their move. And in but, terms but, but of... But surely, surely, uh, Nigel, you know, if, if a race has been going for eons, or, you know, even a thousand years more than we have, um, surely it's more spiritually evolved. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say spirituality is anything to do with it. I think what happens... You see, we've got a, a very interesting little um, epithet in here called the second law of thermodynamics. Now, the second law of thermodynamics for, for the readers not vested in science is quite simply a universal law that states that 
all systems go into greater states of randomness and chaos with time. And that this then, therefore, completely rots everything. That, in fact, we know that. We all die. We know that everything ends. They even say now that the universe is going to end purposelessly in a vast sheet of cold nothingness. So what does purpose mean? Is there something beyond what we understand the physical scales of the universe, so to speak? Is, if there is, can we describe this with the word spiritual? And if that is so, what on earth does spirituality and spiritualness mean? How can we get a hold of it? It's an abstract after all and so on. So, you know, one is given to all kinds of speculations and all kinds of various ways of looking at the, 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 the various criterions that make this entire subject up. And, of course, I went through the whole thing, and I've written a series of books uh, trying to catalogue why all these things might fit into a cogent frame that makes rational sense. And, of course, whatever, whatever that might be in terms of, of an outcome, it is, it is an offertory that one puts before, for me, in my case, the coming generation of children, to ask them the question, look, if such a thing might be true, a society that is sponsored and made in the past into something that is useful for a grander society in the scale of intelligences and so on, that we are there to serve other purposes. What, in fact, should you consider in terms of your own purpose of going forward, so to speak? So whilst we have all these philosophical threads, we really don't have any cogent, realistic answers about it. Right. And so I came at this looking at this from the fundamental sense of it all. All procedures, you know, carried out by any entity that comes at us in a physical universe which is, you know, completely enforced. Everything is forced. Everything is a vibrational expression of force in our physical universe. Could, in fact, these things that come from the outside, they call them by various names called greys and, and Nordics and whatever it is. I, ra I rather take a, a dim view of, of naming things and people have, you know, <laughs> rather like supporting a football club, you've got the people on the side of the greys, the people on the side of the Nordics, people on the side of humanity. And right. So it, it's made into some kind of uh, for purposeless foray. What is important is what principles underlie the propulsion units of each of these various things. And can we look at this with a calm, clue, a cold, cold mind, so to speak, and, and see whether there is anything in this that meets the gist of purpose and value that we seem to, to say uh, uh, in our societies is, is something we all should consider if society itself is going to survive. Well, there's some very... I'm, I'm sorry to butt in here, but I've got it. There's some very complicated stuff we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. None of it's uh, sort of straightforward. So yeah. I just want to go back. I did ask you the question ages ago about the, the sort of deathbed confession and how that sparked an interest, and uh, I, I didn't really get the answer there from you, but just so our what, audience what, what, knows, there was a... Deathbed confessions on, on what base? There was a confession by a colonel, I believe, to yourself, that we, were, right, yes. that we were not alone. Yes, that's right. Um, I, uh, the son of a general 
uh, American general uh, actually related the story to me when I, I kind of poo-pooed the idea of, of uh, you know, these entities that come from space and so on many, many years ago. And he was an American chap uh, that I knew. And he said, well, I'll let me tell you a story. I can come at this from a personal point of view. And he said, my father actually took these things out of a crashed uh, vehicle and on his, he kept the secret uh, for years from the family. He was, he was at that time, uh, this happened to Colonel, and he was subsequently made a general. <clears throat> and this individual then <clears throat> actually told his son, I have to tell you this because I have seen my grandsons and so on, and I'm going on, whatever. He was, on, he was dying of cancer. Um, and um, he did uh, then say, I actually, with someone else, carried a living alien entity out of these things. Make no mistake about this, Kevin. These things are actually here, and their transport vehicles are in the custody of all the main great nations in the world. Oh, okay, okay, so you've touched on a few things there. So what, what, when you were talking about that recovered body, are you talking about Roswell in 1947? No, I'm not. I'm talking about a situation that happened after Roswell. Okay, okay. And yep. you touched on another subject there, which was, you know, you've just mentioned there that this is a, a uh, not a just a U.S. government secret. This is a world government issue. Indeed. And, and the, the fact is that, that these things, I mean, you, there's an awful lot of research, an awful lot of contacts one makes, and, and therefore an awful lot of secrecy one, uh, that ensues in actually, you know, um, trying to get the stories and so forth and so on. And um, no question about it, the Chinese have them, the Russians have them, the British know about them. I have never been able to pin down whether the British actually have them. If, they, if the British had them, then the, their American sponsors, I think, would have taken them. <laughs> but but how, can, how can you say that our UK government knows about it? I mean, you know, either they're very good liars or uh, the actual government in power now knows nothing and it's higher than them. Oh, come on now, Kevin. You don't think politicians lie? <laughs> We are, we are looking at a fund of it at the moment, <laughs> at this very moment in time. And they base, I think, a rather cynical view, I might say, but they base, they base their prepositions and propositions on, on half-truths and stretching the truth and all the rest of it. But, but to lie about something so life-changing, how, how could they keep that lie to themselves for long? I mean, it's just such a life-changing uh, um, experience to, to know that we're that not alone. That may well be why, Kevin, that they're keeping it um, a, a secret, because it is so powerful that it may, in, in fact, collapse the systems of society, and that they think they're being responsible in keeping this thing quiet because they don't want the infrastructure the scaffolding of our world to collapse. And there may well be an argument in this. I do concede that. But on the other hand, there is a greater argument, I think, a moral one, where you and I, if we're parents, have to look into the eyes of our children and propose a future for them. And I think that's the thing, without sounding too pompous about it, I hope I don't, but it re really is quite simply that. When I took this on and I looked at it, yeah. I thought, now what do I do? Do I sit here as a dad, for instance, and just say, look, son, daughter, this is exactly what I've found, or do I say, what about the mums and dads outside there? Suck it and see. Here it is. You go out there and you do your own researches or whatever it is, and take a look at this, because I tell you what, 
this is the kind of thing that's going to 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 have a real effect on you know on on your children and so on in, in the future and so basically that's where i came from and still am to be honest i'm looking at the future generations and what in fact one can leave behind you leave them behind uh, whatever material possessions you have and two or three divorces later they're living uh, uh, in a flat uh, on top of a fish and chip shop if you see what i'm trying to say but give I them can. something that might give them hope for the future or a sense of hope, and there is a sense of hope in all of this, let me tell you, um, then that's quite a difference. But, but you, say, you say there there's a sense of hope. In one hand, you're saying there's, sorry, there's a sense of hope, and then in the other hand, you're saying that, well, these well, entities, these beings, these species that are out there, you know, uh, yeah. we may be the equivalent of the lab rats to them. So, I mean, what hope yeah. is that? But the thing is that I think that they, being what they are, you see, these things... From all accounts, there can be no doubt now, I think, at least for me in the researches that I have done, that they are a robotic form of entity. Okay, they, okay, are, not, okay. they are not living, in other right, words. They okay. are, I want to get into this. I'm, I'm sorry to yeah. butt in here again. It's just there's so much you're going to cover. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. so the greys, what yeah. are the greys to begin with? Well... To simply answer your question, uh, they are a form of robotic entity that has been made in terms of the exploration, I would imagine, of space-time as we understand it, and that these things have no, they are computer-driven with artificial intelligence, very highly schemed on that basis, and they are rather like we send out into space robots now. We, we send robot ships, don't we? We don't actually send robots yet. But in, in the sense we understand that, you know. A probe, yeah, a probe. We send yeah. robot ships out there, and they do these, uh, these kinds of experiments we need, and they come back with the results and so on. Now, can you imagine a civilization that's so far ahead of that that they've actually developed forms of entity that run on an artificial intelligence with a synthetic base to their, their actual physical demeanor and structured in such a way that they can take inertial, huge inertial forces, both in actual travel and in landing, you know, in various spaces, coming down from vast speeds, travel and so on. And radiation and, I, and radiation. Yeah, yeah. And radiation. And you and I would be a stain inside the window of a spaceship if we come decelerate, if you like, from the kinds of speeds that these things will have to do when they approach a terrestrial format like planet, for instance. And, and so, you know, you, you, you then create something that is conducive to this kind of situation. And these things then provide, if you like, are provided with an artificial intelligence, which is simply binary. It's an add-on thing. Now, the, the thing is this, we as natural, non-synthetic beings, shall we say, have an incredible advantage over this. Now, these artificial things will have to be made from, actually manufactured, from disparate parts, mechanical, non-living, dead matter, so to speak, parts. And they're put together and they're assembled rather like we do a computer. And then these things think for themselves in their own terms of reference, but they don't have the scope of things like vision, imagination, or in fact the ability to know a sense of personal personalization. They don't know. A robot can never know what I means, if you see what I'm trying to say. Yet we 
are something that comes from a beginning. Can you imagine? We all have a beginning. Wherever that beginning might be, we might call it a singularity. Some might call it God, if you're religious and so on. I prefer to think of it in a secular way, a point from which we all come in a single line. And each one of us has a discrete line back to that point in our individuality all the time being proposed by a previous situation, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and so on, in a single line. And within that scope of continuity, we have an, a, a mechanism for, if you like, gaining more and more knowledge so that you and I are the sum total of whatever began billions of years ago in the great somewhere, maybe a single point if you see what I'm trying to say. Now, I have to go into that in far more complicated detail in my books, as I have done, to give some cogent sense of what this might mean. But generally speaking, this whole line of continuity then makes us, through life and death, incarnacy, discarnacy, back and forth, a natural system that automatically prevails in its own terms, whereas a robot can't do that. Well, the question but is... they that... come here and see this if you like, they come here and they see this, and here is something that they find very, very attractive in their own terms, and perhaps that is what they want, to make us suitable for a transhumanization mechanism, suitable so that they may cross their intelligence quantum into our own. Now, that might take thousands and thousands of years to do because you've got to change things like DNA and so on. I'm just now very generally kind of taking this Okay, okay, so, so when, what you've just said there, what, what, again, just explain that to me again. So you think they're, they're manipulating our DNA? I think, I think they want to make that into a suitable platform into which they may then feed their own quantum sense of whatever they are. Uh, their mindedness, if you like. Uh, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't describe it a mind like ours in our organic sense of the word and so on, but I think that's really what they've been aiming at. They've, they came in eons ago, they took a primitive form of hominid that was through entropy going down, so to speak, re-engineered it into a situation where this hominid that had done nothing for three million years, uh, Kevin, suddenly about 200,000 years ago to a single point in the, in the continent of Africa, they think, if you like. And this, in this one female hominid is supposed to, this is real science now I'm talking, is supposed to have given rise to the modern form, Homo sapiens sapiens of humanity, which then took a cascade all the way down to our present species. And in that single movement 200,000 years ago, the brain size triples, and what is even more remarkable, the pelvic girdle that admits this brain size into life triples to do that. Now, to have accidental, you know, um, uh, evolutionary mechanisms do this two huge steps in that short period of time is absolutely impossible the 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 the, the numbers don't fit so wh when, what are you saying for then three that? million years nothing happened so, i believe that yeah. this this transhumanization mechanism was started when one when this kind of entity appeared on on the face of our earth and then started 
because they saw that even that hominid could have burst. There was a line, a, a, a genealogical line that was going back, and they wanted this facility to be built into a machine form that they were. And I think that's the proposition I'm, uh, that, 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 that they found very attractive. And I think that this is what they've been trying to do all this time, all these, these, these eons of time, into making a suitable type of human being whereby this, this biological entity could accommodate whatever it was there is in these things so that therefore they then could live within our scope. And this is where we get to my subject and the article uh, in, in uh, the magazine, uh, UFO Matrix, that, that I think prompted this interview. That's um, right. That this computer chips in cells is the mechanism through which this is happening and it's happening before our eyes now. And it's to me, the most disturbing and catastrophic thing that happened can happen to human beings if we don't ask enough questions about it. I suppose, you know, the, the whole idea is what you're coming, what you're bringing to this radio uh, um, program right now, what, where we've been manipulated as such. Um, our idea is that many other authors have have sort no of question. Have, have sort of you know come up with as well. Uh, no question. I mean, Eric von Daniken, for one. Um, you, Absolutely. You, you know, was, was saying they laughed this, at him when he said it. I remember at the time they laughed at this man and they said it dismissed him. And so many um, artifacts have been discovered around the world, and very very uh, uh, reliable um, authorities are now beginning to see that there may well be something to all of this. You can't build the kinds of things, the artifacts of the past, with the kinds of primitive technologies, regardless of how... But then, why do most scholars just agree with each scholar and say, no, that's right, uh, you know, you're it's wrong? Quite it's quite simply the pursuit of funding so that they can maintain their salary levels, maybe. That's a cynical view, but let me tell you, that underlies a lot of what we do <laughs> in our world these days, and I don't mean to sound frivolous about it, but anyone who's been to university and who wants to get a grant to do research would know exactly what I mean by that. And of course, you know, you have to be taken seriously. You do years of studies on the simple formats that uh, we get from the past, and little by little, as time moves forward, you begin to broaden your view. The problem is that based on that, is a whole lineage, if you like, of having to learn to earn a living and so forth, and they aren't going to let that get uh, rid of that very easily. They're not going to uh, give that up very easily, I don't think. So you can see that these, there will be a fight to get to the truth, and the truth is not always uh, got easily, you know, through this the, the political invective or the society, sociological invective of the societies. You see, um, we we say, you know, are UFOs really here? Are what is being witnessed in the sky? our own or you know foreign and yeah. uh, you know cosmologists you know they're now saying that there's millions maybe hundreds of millions of planet-like earths in our own galaxy absolutely what, what's the consequences of that then well just think about it if this is happening if there's a load of traffic out there kevin what do you think our little planet might be a, a subject to it's just that we're waking up to this now with the, we've got the technology to open the valves so to speak to all of this and there we are that's the case we've got a a, a galaxy full of crosstalk going on and this may well be the norm out there and we suddenly wake up and say oh dear there are such things as these, you know, space things coming, elements, whatever, coming into our planet. But then but why, have, why have not 
other governments who are a bit more loose than, say, for the US, but other governments, India, China, who are now entering and have entered the space race, why have they or anyone that works for these systems not come forward and said, look, we, you know, well, we've, we've tracked this, we've seen that, you know, there's yeah. probes, on, uh, probes going to the moon now. Why have they not come forward and said, hey, hang on, there were some anomalous readings on there? Well, uh, governments are run by politicians, Kevin, and politicians are politicians the world over. And when you get into a certain situation, the president of the United States, for instance, gets a secret file. And he never divulges what he sees in that file. In fact, some presidents of the United States have tried to get this thing declared. And the, 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 the backdrop of this is so powerful. And the people that control the measures of running our planet, such as they are, in fiscal terms, business terms, what have you, they are not going to give uh, the world uh, an idea that, listen, mate, we're all on our own, because there's something out there that might come and change you. And this is where this computer chips thing, and really that's the interesting thing, if I may say so, by putting little devices in the schematics of our biology how will you or I know who we are in time? And that's the great dangerous thing that I really want to talk, to, talk about in detail terms. The UFO thing may be a backdrop against which all of this is set, but the important thing to me is where, are, where is Kevin or Nigel or, his, or their children going to be if a tiny little piece of whatever you can insert with a syringe, can be planted in your psychology or your biology and change the complete conception you have of yourself. And are, are, we, are we talking here about, um, you know, the, the, the chips that are found on people sometimes, the implants that people are allegedly coming out with uh, to, you know, and, and are being taken out of people by certain doctors? No. I mean, for instance, a very famous uh, broadcaster, scientist, accepted the world over as quite an eminent man, Dr. Michel Kaku predicts that as computer power is doubled every 18 months, by 2020, intelligence will be everywhere, practically in every object. And in the future, computers will move even deeper into the very fabric of our lives, you know. So there is recent evidence confirming our progress towards what I call SIM card man. Uh, another famous scientist, uh, Dr. Mark Gasson, for instance, you know, from the University of Reading, had a chip inserted in his hand, which was then infected with a virus. The device then enabled him to pass through security doors and activate his mobile phone uh, and was so sophisticated in this version, uh, you know, uh, compared to, uh, say, ID chips, for instance, uh, used, you know, you know, to tag pets, right? Yeah. It was so, it was so sophisticated. Uh, Dr. Gasson showed that the chip was able to pass on the computer virus to an external control system. Now, if that can be done now, can you imagine where we'll be going in a few years' time? It's an incredibly disturbing situation. And people will just move into this because you won't be informed. It's so insidious because it moves quietly and relentlessly. And before we know where we are, this is what we should be asking. What are we being turned into? Where is our natural sense of natural meaning going with something artificial being, being put in us 
ostensibly, of course, for the best reason, some medical reason that will cure a disease or whatever. But I think we should look at this extremely carefully because this is something that sends, I know as a father, a chill down my spine. So that's why I wrote the article in um, um, uh, UFO Matrix. I mean, what you've got to say, uh, Nigel, is, is intensely interesting. It really is. I find it very difficult to get around my head that, you know, beings, uh, e even, a, even a hundred years ahead of us, would be here um, wishing us harm. I mean, surely, you know, the older you get, the more um, spiritually wiser you get. I mean, the, I mean, I don't go around my life uh, wanting to hurt no one. Um, I, I, that's not in my programming. Yes, I know that. But just take a look out of your window um, and next time and see the, uh, the society moving, you know, in its own terms. And the violence out there. You talk about entities coming from space, Kevin, that might have uh, false motives against us. So human beings have enough of that. If you can go and bug some dead person's phone, I would not call that anything more evil than anything an entity from space can do. Come on, you know, yeah. human beings yeah. can be sure, absolutely sure, sure. horrendously evil. We, we, and we, what a strange force coming from outside. It's hardly likely to put their arms around us and say, hi there, chaps. You poor guys, we're going to show you how to have a great time with technology. Of course not. Everything superior has always, in our history, dominated anything inferior. As a quantum, but we do, do, that do, to do you animals think... all the time? Yep. We do it all the time to animals. Yep. Like but... that, they're the nearest example of it, you know. Okay, okay, but do you think though, a, a spiritually advanced race, a technologically advanced race, would want to interfere in our progression? Would they, if we can just, even for a second, try to put our head in that situation, want to just leave us alone to get on with it and not interfere? But you know, I, I cannot automatically say that any advanced race would be spiritually advanced. Those are two completely different categories. I think that this individual, I'm not a religious man, in fact, you know, I'm very, very secular in my yeah. outlook. But I do think that there were some points to be made by the great religious teachers when they pointed out to us that there is something here that is extremely dangerous. A very interesting thing, if I may say so, happened 2,000 years ago in the desert of Judea. Now, I'm not, I mean, I've been baptized a Christian, but I'm a complete, uh, I dismiss all the, all the mumbo-jumbo of all of organized religions and so on. But let me tell you, when you look at these individuals themselves that came here, um, uh, that, that actually authored the great religions, for instance, Jeshua Ben Joseph to you and I, Jesus Christ. This individual, actually, when you look at the evidence for it that's been kept from us and not kind of made into a religious daub, if you like, uh, to actually, you know, for political reasons, whatever, these, this religious uh, ethic comes from a great scientist. I'll give you a little example of this, Kevin, if I may. Of I course. don't know. Of course, uh, yeah, go I'll ahead. Give you a little example that confirms this in, in, in the New Testament, for instance. This chap. Joshua ben Joseph, uh, and uh, Jesus Christ, as I say, there's a, a description there of him being taken to a high place in Judea, and some entity is in such control that he can take this and take Jesus up there. He takes him to a high place, and then he starts a whole set of 
uh, offers to him. If you do this, if you do this, we will do this, I will do this, whatever. And one of them is, he takes him up high enough to see the cities of the world, and then he says, if you fall down and worship me, I will give you all of these things. Now, this is the New Testament of the Christian ethic, you know, the religious ethic. Well, let me ask a question here. If you go to Judea and you look at the, the, the topography there, there's no high place that will let, let you see all of Judea, never mind uh, the, um, uh, the, the whole world, the cities no. of the world. But if you go 200 miles vertically up, you will see from that standard point, in that central point, if you like, in a flat two-dimensional perspective, you will see all the cities of the world that counted at that time. So there is a straight and powerful implication here that maybe Jesus Christ was actually taken up in one of these crafts or whatever it is and shown what the people or the things in this crowd, I don't like to describe them as people, obviously, they're entities of some sort, that they presume that they own the planet. And they made this offer and said, if you fall down and worship, and then the retort of this individual, Jesus was, get thee behind me, for it is written, you shall not tempt the Son of Man. And that I quote the words, because I'm not to write the part. I'm not a biblical scholar at yeah. all. But, uh, but as I say, and the implication there to me is he was saying to this individual, listen, mate, you are a machine. Until you have something that I have, a connection back to an original source, be living unsynthetic and normal and natural, you have nothing. You have no status existentially whatsoever. And do you know, I believe this is what these entities that come that are roboidic, and really that's the only way they can travel these distances in space that would have to be robotic. These things, I think, then began to say, hey, hang on a minute, we'd like a piece of this type of being. And I think that's what this whole business is all about. Now, I know, uh, Kevin, can I tell you, when I started this business, and I have great sympathy for your view, I must say, of skepticism and uh, being cynical about this, because I was, you couldn't be more cynical than I was. I know exactly where you're coming from. And it's over the time that I tried to look from a point of view outside the box that I began to see, hang on a minute, you can't get any truth by sitting there and tut-tutting and saying, God, this can't happen. You've got to look. And if you look and it doesn't make sense and there's no rational tie-up, then completely dismiss it. But one plus one must be equal to one plus one. Okay, by the way, okay. it's not equal to two, by the way. Uh, no. Mathematicians will understand that. <laughs> okay, well, okay. well we've, we've talked about the grades there. Now, you would, you would agree with this, wouldn't you, that there's not just... I mean, there can't just be one type of grade. There must be many. And also, there's probably many species out there. Would, would you say that's true? When I quantify the number of these things that, that are described in the literature, there, is, there are so many of them, it's very difficult to decide where they find their place in any kind of normality or right. hierarchy. Right. So, really, so, I have to say that. So would you, would you say then that just as you've got hot and cold on this planet, just as yeah. you've got you know, good, good and bad in the human nature, though there must be good and bad out there? Well, I have, of course someone has to accept that. And my point is simply this. We have individual good and bad in our planet. But when we look at the numbers of wars and the things that we have done over centuries... 
that at this moment in time, our world is far more pervasive in wickedness and evil to each other than at any other historical time in the past. And that is absolutely true, you know. And if you look at these measures getting worse with time, one has to ask the question, if we are the natural, shall we say, average norm of a planet of beings, well, you've got to expect that the general drift out there will also be the same. And at the same time, if you've got the second law of thermodynamics taking you apart, then you know your brain cells that probably decide how you might think and how you might do things aren't going to be in a condition to be able to stop that. Because this thing, this thing that we call entropy, you know, the second law of thermodynamics, is the great, to me, the great Satan. There are no devils with horns. It's a drift that is happening, taking us apart, so that we all die. If you can show me someone that has never died and won't die, then I will be able to say, okay, Kevin, we can do business. Let's have an argument from you. But everything Everything ends, Kevin. One way. Why is it all one way, Kevin? Why is everything just one way? It's a question we all have to ask. And that's because there is this law called second law of thermodynamics that does it. And it applies to every planet out there, no matter how far it is in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> so where do you think you're going to go when you pass on? Well, I don't know. I have not been a very good boy. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, I just judge from my, my, what my children tell me. But I'm trying, you know, I really am trying about, <laughs> on, on, on the, shall we say, the social semantic side. However, to answer your question seriously, I hope there is a mechanism whereby the information that is me or you or anyone else may pass on when the biomagnetic field, you know our heart pumps iron, blood, hemoglobin, and that creates a biomagnetic field. Mm. I believe that that biomagnetic field holds all the information we have gathered, right, in a field an electrospore, I call an electrospore, and this goes on rather like you might send a message from your telephone, your iPhone, across the room to someone else. You, you, you type out a text, right, on your phone, yeah. and that text is your contrivance, your creation. It's a package of information on your phone. You then press the button, and over empty space, that field of information moves to someone else across the way, shall we say. Well, in the same way, I believe that our information fields carry on. When a f magnetic field tying us to a physical semblance, a physical body, ends with the stopping of our heart, and it goes on. And as it goes on, it goes into a situation that it can re-enlist into a modus operandi for existing, if you like. Now, how that modus and where that modus operandi might be is, is a difficult thing to answer you definitively. You yeah. might say the greatest minds in the world have tried to find the answer to this, and certainly mine isn't able to do that at the moment. Or, but I or think may, or we may, do continue. We do continue. Yeah, or maybe on this level we're not supposed to know. Maybe as much as we'll look into it, you know, we're just, it's not in our journey to know just yet. 
think that the real point is this. If it is intercepted by another quantum of information downloaded onto us by an artificial roboidic being onto, say, shall we say, Kevin or, or Nigel or mm, whatever, mm. right? We've got a problem there, mate, because we aren't ourselves anymore. Something else is freeloading on us and using our capacity to return perhaps to another room or somewhere else in the, and start a physical existence again. Something else will be on us then, if you see what I'm trying to say. And that's the danger of anything that is, if you like, in advance of us that can move information fields better than us. That's the whole point about my article, Computer Chips in Ourselves. And really something, uh, a question that we might like to look at. And let me tell you this. Yeah. Look, wh whilst I say all of this, they're all speculations. Of course they are. But there are, some, there are things I would like outside the box, so to speak, people to look at and consider, at least my children. I wrote this really basically for myself. I wrote most things for myself just to argue the points. And then, of course, I would offer them to others, and those who might think they're interesting might take it and, 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 and pervade that uh, elsewhere. But, you know, it would be selfish for me just to try to keep it to myself. If they're unworthy, well, put them in the bin. If you find that they're not, then why not say, take a look, maybe you will have a better idea than this. But at least the conversation will go on. And as long as it goes on, greys or greens or yellows or blues will have no chance against us, I believe. I think your work is fascinating, and I, and I think that the... the um, I think the work you do is special. I do. I really do. And, uh, you know, I, I've enjoyed debating with yourself today. Um, there is definitely something going on, right? I'm, yeah. I mean, absolutely, okay? Um... And uh, the repercussions of it, whatever it may be, are just enormous. Again, someone like yourself, you're, you've not just used other researchers' work, you've gone out there and looked for it yourself, haven't you? And the most important thing, I think, is that we individually do that, you know, Kevin. That, yes, it's fine to get all the various other opinions together and so on, and it's so, so wonderful to see how people think and, and these various... But the worst thing you can do is to keep your mind closed. Keep that mind open and try to step neutrally, but I would advise my children, look with reason and logic how it hitches up and if it doesn't make sense at all throw it away and start again but but, <laughs> then, the, but then you touched on something very important there you said about keeping their minds open not closed but most people want to be told what to do most people want to be told how to think you know to think for themselves is is quite hard work nigel yeah, the saddest thing is that they don't know how magnificent they are if they don't do that. Um, as people keep them caged. Religions keep them caged. Politicians keep them caged. Teachers sometimes do. Teachers open more boxes than they close, I have to say. I find that a very noble um, profession uh, in trying to increase our knowledge. But you're right. That there is a tendency towards this. Of course you're right. And of course the last thing in the world we must do is to accede to this particular thing. I think the most important thing we can do is to open our minds and say, no, I am going to find the greater me. And, and that's, I'm not some, please understand me, I don't want to be some, sound like some pious philosopher, I'm not. I just simply want to say, you know, 
You have a magic inside you that is absolutely huge. Do not contain it and make it small or let anyone else tell you that that is true about you. And if you start to do that, you have an amazing adventure in life uh, in front of you. Where can people find out more information on your work? Well, I have a website. I mean, I, I, I hate, I have to be honest, and this is really straight, let me tell you. I have a website called Nigel Kerner. You just type in nigelkerner.com on Google, okay. and you'll you find the references. Okay, so there's... But I mean, please, I have to say this. Nigel Kerner is only Nigel Kerner. You are as big or much better than me. If you would just give yourself a chance, as I did, as a prompt from the question from my son, and I'm ever grateful to him for this, to go and take a look, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Look at the evidence for yourself before you start to uh, just dismiss it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'd great talking to you. I'd, lo I'd love to get you back on for um, phone uh, when we have phone in calls. But uh, Nigel, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. To find out more information on Nigel Kerner, just go to nigelkerner.com or visit my website, themoreshow.co.uk, and look up Nigel Kerner under past guests. Now, don't forget we have a TV show which goes out every Friday on Sky 201 and FreeSat 403 at 6pm or Saturday at 10pm. Don't miss it. And you can also follow us now on Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>